Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. Welcome to the Frontline Innovators Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Lake, and I'm super excited for today's episode. I know I always say that, uh, but it's always true. I really am excited to get to talk to another guest. Today's guest is an award-winning, self-described learning and development nerd. He takes pride in his ability to solve business problems for future ways of working that create better organizational change management and agility. He's currently the Director of Change Management Strategy and Communications for a little company up in Northwest Arkansas called Walmart. Please welcome Joshua Remorowski. Hello, Joshua. That was great. Yeah. How you doing? I'm very well, and I'm, I am genuinely excited to have you here. We, uh, we had a great prep call a few weeks back, and uh, I'm really looking forward to the conversation. I think this is going to be a great one for, uh, for me and our guests. So yeah, let me go ahead. And, let's do it. <laughs> let's go ahead and start off as we always do. I'd like to get your take on what you think is the biggest challenge you see facing the deskless workforce today. Yeah, I think, and, and I know we expounded upon it a little bit in our first conversation, but I think there's probably like two things. I think one, it's I think leaders need to do a better job of like humanizing digitization. So like when you look at how we're digitizing the workforce, becoming uh, this deskless place that really is different for a lot of people for how they've worked for, for many, many years. And there is a human element to it, right? So obviously with having deskless workforce, you have new digital, digital products you might try to use to enhance and enable your frontline team, maybe even your leadership team, whatever that may look like. And I think what happens a lot of times is it's like, well, okay, as a leader, do I even know what these tools or resources or things that we're trying to use to enable them are like capable of, right? So we're, we're trying to go through this digital transformation, but I don't know how to open an Excel document on my computer, right? So then it becomes really hard to, to hold you know, people accountable and then require that reinforcement um, from a leadership standpoint. And really without reinforcement, no matter what you do in a deskless workforce, uh, whatever the AI tool or, you know, your fancy mind mapping uh, opportunity, nothing, nothing's going to be different. You're just going to spend a lot of time and effort and end up right back in the same place you were a year before, six months before, you know, name, name the time. And then I think the other thing is, we forget beyond just the humanizing this digital workspaces, we forget there's an actual human uh, that is now has their environment changed. And right. I think the easiest way to look at it is if I would ask a group of people uh, that have partners, uh, you know, whatever it is, you have someone you live with and I'm like, Hey, tonight, go sleep on a different side of the bed. Probably be a fight uh, in that house. hundred percent. Right? And that type of stuff, right? That's a simple change. I'm not asking you to change your complete way of doing work. I'm asking you to, to maybe move a couple feet on your bed with a different nightstand. Hopefully you have one. And it's hard for people to wrap their minds around because they have an expectation of that's where they're sleeping. That's where they're comfortable. And 
that's how people's brains work. So when you get into now, I'm going to take this and change the, maybe the entire way that you operate, maybe it's your title, maybe it's the systems you, you work with. It's your home environment from what I'm used to or, or feel comfortable or safe. A lot of those things get missed and it's, well, we just don't have the right leaders or we just don't have the right tools. And you just start throwing things at it when it's really like, well, did we set this human being up that's complete environment and ecosystem to which they work and, and now live in has changed and shifted. Yeah. Listen, I, as I've grown a little bit older and perhaps become a little bit more self-aware, I think previously I would have described myself as super flexible. And I think a lot of ways in my life, I, I would still describe myself sure. that way. But, you know, you talk about uh, the side of the bed, uh, where, <laughs> where I sit at the kitchen, when we have company over, if somebody sits in my seat, it just drives me completely insane. I try yeah. to squash it, but it's like, I'm so used to sitting in that place and it's silly. You're right. It seems, you know, when you think about it with a logical, rational way of thinking, it, it makes no sense at all, but we are definitely creatures of habit. And that's true in our work life and, and certainly in our work life. And so we have to take that account. And when we're trying to inject change into the organization, that sometimes it's not necessarily because the old way was better. It's just more comfortable. It's what's known. And as humans, we're not always very adaptable. Yeah. yeah and I think, I think leaders, a lot of times, right, see themselves as adaptable. And I would say what's missed is, I think, being transparent that maybe you're adaptable to a point. I think we right. all are right. There's, there's sure. things that people will bend and won't break. There's things that people won't bend at all on. And I think there's, there's moral things. There's, there's obviously like personal, uh, just preference, like right. just that you like a sport, a certain sports team. And that's just who you're going to, you know, root for, even if that you have no ties to that team and whatever it is. Um, and it becomes one of those things where that's a part becomes unfortunately sometimes like a part of who you are and, you know, people that you work with are who you spend the most time with in right. most situations or a lot of time, right? I, yeah. I spend more time at work during the day than I do with my wife. So sure. when something like that shifts, that's a huge part of my life. Um, personally or professionally, there's a human being, I'm a human being uh, at the end of the day, and I am not always good at, at change. And I think being transparent and sharing that with your frontline workers, your leaders that directly report to you that, hey, I'm struggling with this too, is always going to be a really important thing because, well, now I don't think something's wrong with me that, that this isn't as easy as maybe my leaders making it think. And I think we get that super heroism, you know, viewpoint of how you have to be that it's put up this shield. I, you know, I can make any change happen. And it's just not going back to the changing the side of the bed. I, I bet it'd be very difficult for most people to do that um, or even just change the way they drive to the grocery store or, or to work. Uh, it becomes an inconvenience. And it's just, you said creature of habit, it's just the way your brain works. Yeah. It, in both our prep call and just in the few minutes here, you know, you've talked a lot about the impact um, of leadership on change inside the organization. That's something that I want to explore quite a bit more. Um, I'd like to pause it for a moment like to give our audience a chance to get to know a little bit more about you. You have a very interesting background, uh, your yeah. background in athletics. We got to talk about that a lot. And, and I can really tell so much of, so many of those things come across um, to really make you who you are. So let's give everybody a chance to understand who you are. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up in the role that you're in today. Yeah. So um, I would say I probably have a more blue collar, you know, 
way of getting to where I am than maybe a lot of people do. And, and, I, and I'm sure there's other people that have that, but I would say my, my pathway has been very interesting, but yeah, it did start. I would say how I got to where I am today all started with my athletic background. I played sports most of my life and uh, all the way into college, played uh, all the way up to division one, you know, baseball at Liberty university, a lot of challenges, you know, there, because as a back to the human aspect, I didn't get the development that other people got um, from their family. I had a very difficult family environment that also impacts your ability to, to learn, adapt, all those things. And, and that impacted my ability to get feedback from, from leaders. It impacted my ability to, to grow to my full potential. And, you know, really, I found myself, my, my senior year of college, getting kicked off uh, the baseball team for all, all of those things because I did not have a great uh, upbringing or support system to do most of the things I learned, I learned on my own. Uh, I didn't have a dad to play catch with and all those things that other people are want to, you know, go to private camps or whatever it may be. And so when I got into the workforce, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I think a lot of people, I, I lead people of all ages and they don't know what they want to be when they grow up. And a lot of that's because of, you know, lack of self-reflection and being able to be coachable uh, through that. And so as I got better at being coachable, which you would think is someone that was an athlete and I was pretty talented um, naturally, but I didn't really accept coaching well. It wasn't something I was good at. So I became a truck driver right out of college, recession 2008. Uh, there wasn't a ton of jobs and uh, it was a grind and nothing makes you kind of understand what you want to do with your life more than doing a job you hate. And I mean, Boy, did I hate that job. I mean, I did not yeah. like that job. And uh, really through that, like dealing with customers and talking to people and, and really starting to establish like what I was doing with my day, listening to thought leaders, like on the radio or podcasts, I really knew I wanted to find my way into like a corporate in environment somehow. Um, I went into doing field work for direct TV, uh, installing satellites, climbing roofs, you know, almost killed myself a few times doing that. Uh, you know, from trying to maybe work too hard, you know, in the snow or whatever it is in the hills of, of Pennsylvania. And then I did door to door sales, uh, for business. I was a business account executive for small business at, at Comcast. And from there, I was like, well, I don't like sales. I, I don't know that I want to do field work. Um, but I do know that I like leading people. And I always enjoyed that when I was a coach in college, when I did camps and stuff, when I was in high school coaching kids, I just loved developing people. And I just wanted to find, how can I find an organization that can give me that opportunity? Um, I found myself at Verizon um, there at an entry-level position at a call center, never worked in a call center in my life. I couldn't believe they'd pay me to talk to someone. Like that was... <laughs> An insane, an insane thing. I was like, this job seems really easy. Like, I'm just gonna, like, they yell at you. I'm like, okay, it was my son and my dad. So, uh, one of those things is like really interesting going through that was just the learning and development team and like how much passion they had behind the role. And I knew like that was such a great opportunity as I looked at the organizational structure uh, to really lead, you know, through changing people's behaviors. Uh, and what better way to do it than in learning and development? So, I found my way you know, pretty much every year since then, that was 13 years ago, I started that job. I've had a new role every single year, pretty much for the last 13 years. Um, I found my way into becoming a senior trainer 
I, I moved uh, away from Pennsylvania to take on that role and uh, did a lot of tech-based tech uh, training, software, network engineering, things like that. A lot of in, interesting things with AR and VR. Just to uh, clarify, you were on the L&D side, but you were yeah. training for those other roles inside Verizon. Yeah. Okay. And um, when I really started getting into like the leadership development piece, that's when uh, it really started to broaden my horizons, like what's really, really out there organizationally, like seeing all these different business units and like what they do and what their behavior gaps are from like selling the business accounts to selling to someone in retail, to being a support person, to, you know, product or program management. And uh, I, I was lucky enough to develop this huge change management workshop um, while I was there that went to about 10,000 leaders. And that's when I really like expanded like my understanding and, and capabilities from like change management and communication and like also the human aspect of how the brain works and how, how difficult changes. And I found a passion there. And so uh, I moved again uh, after doing a lot of those things in that role uh, to take this job that I'm, that I'm in now. And I've had multiple promotions uh, since I took that job and moved to Dallas, Texas to, to lead a team of, of people in learning and development. And, you know, that team's grown massively over the last two and a half years. And recently I took this role to lead our change management strategy and, and communication, uh, which has been fantastic. I, I, I think it's one of those things that there's so many different aspects of it. And really more than anything, it's just making sure like, do we have a really well thought out plan to do the thing that we're saying we're going to do? Because yes, the business needs to do this, but there's humans that make this business go. And we can't forget that because they'll quit. You know, they'll go on leave of absence, whatever it may be. There's other effects from potentially our poor planning and poor decision-making that are going to occur. So um, it's been a really interesting journey. Sometimes when people ask me questions at work, I'm like, how am I the person that's in charge? <laughs> I'm the person that answered that, that question. So I think it's really cool. And I, I think if you just focus, like part of my journey has never been focusing on title or I don't really care what that looks like. All I care about is making a difference in people's lives and making their jobs easier. And I found if you find that thing, like what your ethos is when you show up to work, all the other things work out, right? Um, because you're doing the right things with character and moral fiber that make a difference. And that's the kind of person someone wants to work with or work for. And it's a shift in mindset for a lot of people that work in organizations that maybe are more like a game of Thrones, you know, where everyone's biding for a position and it just doesn't get you very far yeah. in my experience. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you've ended up in a role that's a really good fit for, uh, you know, you, the culture and your personality are a good match for one another. Yeah, yeah and, potentially. You know, yeah. And so you, you've talked a lot in just in our previous conversations about your background in athletics and, and to hear you talk about how big of a role that played in, in your life all the way up through into being a senior in college. What lessons did you learn being an athlete in Division One athletics that you perhaps still carry forward now in your career? Yeah, I would say the most important thing for me especially playing baseball is like failure is a part of the process. So to be good at the sport of baseball, like if you fail seven times out of 10, you are literally one of the best people. 
And, and that's just after you might've in a micro fashion failed multiple times, maybe in that at bat, right? So you, you yes. swing and miss and you have to constantly adjust your mind and understand like what's going on and how to adapt to, to what that other person's, you know, doing. And when I think about like problem solving and, and having strategy and vision for like the things I want to do and seeing where the business I've applied, like not only failure, but how you, you look at problems, right? Like this thing happened last, last time I did this with my hands. What do I need to do differently? And is that going to be, you know, is it going to be the same pitch? Is it going to be uh, from the same arm slot, whatever those things can be. And as someone that also was a, a pitcher, the same type of like game of chess uh, has been huge for me. I think a lot of people struggle with understanding what strategy is. Um, and I hear it thrown around all the time, like what's their strategy or help me put together a strategy. And it's, it's not like checkers where it's just, I get to this one hurdle and I go over the next thing. I, I very much view it like, like chess where you might have to go a few steps back but you also have to have the willingness to know you failed uh, to take those few steps back with humility to then pivot and go the right, you know, right direction. And so I would say failure has been key. And then I think the other thing too, for me with just being at like around other people that are like, that were far more talented uh, than I was, was that like patience and persistence like pays off. So, you know, I had times where I had, people that were maybe just as good as me and or better, uh, it was their turn, right? Two of my teammates, I remember in high school, we had a very talented high school team, both got drafted out of high school, very high quality pitchers. Most people would have been like maybe frustrated with that, but I knew I, all I had to do is just work and work and work. And eventually my time will come. Um, and that did happen. And then I got horribly, you know, horribly injured and you get faced with another, you know, obstacle, and, but I knew what I wanted to do. And for me, I think like when you have that formula of patience and persistence, whatever that goal is or thing you set your mind to, it's going to be very difficult for it not to happen. But I think a lot of people have to understand just like sports, things are not always going to happen, like when you intend them, you know, to be. And, and so it's really helped me like be humble. I think in my approach to things and work in a team environment, uh, we, not me type of mentality. And I've worked in organizations where it's that game of Thrones mentality, where it's like, I want the job. And it's like, well, that's great. You can have the job. Um, I would rather work with people that as a collective want us, you know, to move forward and have a better place to work and leave our stamp or thumbprint on the business or on humanity or whatever way you look at it in a way that we can be proud of. And I don't think enough people, you know, look at things in that manner. It's just, I hope I can get this title. I hope I can get this amount of money. All that's going to pass at some point and you'll, you'll have it and you'll realize you did a whole lot of nothing. And for me, legacy is something that you leave and into the future. And that's what I find more value. And whatever amount of money I make or whatever title I have, that's fantastic. But what, what does it look like X amount of years from now where I can really say like the reason it is that way is be, because of the difference, you know, I, I made my team made the way we shifted the culture. And I've seen that 
in sports where you could have the most talented team in the world and they're horrible uh, because culturally they're either negative people or not hard workers or you check the box and um, go watch the movie Little Giants. You'll find out, you know, what can happen when you get a scrappy group of people that are really willing to to take down Goliath. So that's always been my approach. Um, I've never been the biggest. I've never been the strongest. Uh, You know, I'm I'm built like Gumby. And so it's always been that patience and persistence thing. And people are always going to tell you no along the way. I've been told no more than I've been told yes at every single thing I've done. And if you let that discourage you, then you're never going to achieve whatever your goal is. So, yeah. um, Yeah. Now you had some previous roles in your role as a driver and as a field service tech, that's kind of a non-traditional background for somebody who's ended up in a change management role inside a company of your size. Yeah. So, you know, do you ever think back to your time in that role? Maybe you didn't stay there long enough. Maybe you didn't enjoy it. Maybe you're trying to repress some of those memories, but um, (laughs) (laughs) did your experiences there, like, does that influence how you think about maybe some of the, the frontline men and women that are in your business today? And does that give you any different perspective? Do you think? Yeah, because working in that, in, in those roles, it was just do what you're told, you know, um, even if it was unreasonable, even if, uh, I remember like the delivery driver job specifically, I, I was doing a route for, for FedEx that had like six UPS drivers on it. <laughs> so my route was this, the same scale that they had, but they had you know, six people, you know, doing it. And, you know, eventually they figured out once you lose this person that's maintaining this, they ended up hiring four people to do my one job. Yeah. Um, and I think I look at a lot of these positions where you might have someone on your team that's underpaid. You might have someone that's being overworked and, as a leader, if you're not going to fight for that, then like, what are you for? And I see that all the time. And I've been there. Um, I grew up in a blue collar, you know, household, blue collar family. Um, I know what it's, what it's like to like watch your family struggle and go bankrupt and, and all of those things and how stressful that can be. And like into the future. Uh, I mean, for a long time, people carry those things from their their past into their everyday work. And that's usually what I think about is like, you know, I've been there. I've worked at a job where I wasn't appreciated. I've worked at a job where I worked really, really hard. Um, How can I make it easier for other people so that it doesn't mean that they don't have to work hard, but it shouldn't be unnecessarily hard. It, it shouldn't be, not thinking through the decisions we make and just saying like, you're, you're going to have to, you know, figure it out. And it shouldn't be that I'm so disconnected as a leader from my own feelings because leaders have a very good job of doing that is like disconnecting themselves from emotion, which is like a terrible thing from a change management standpoint and really understanding the effect you have on human beings within your workforce and, and really just adapting to that. So, yeah, I think nothing about my trajectory has been, I would say traditional, um, especially the field, same thing with like the field service tech work. You just get to see how poorly trained other people are in an organization to deal with things like they might come out with a new product and they didn't train the front line correctly and things are getting installed improperly. 
maybe the sales teams, you know, weren't, I saw all the time our, our sales teams were selling things that couldn't be installed, you know, and I'd drive an hour to go install something and I would tell someone, hey, I can't install, I know you want to watch the Pittsburgh Steelers play tomorrow. I do too. The difference is you, you can't because you have this massive tree in the way of like getting signal. And like, that's right. just, I can't, I can't in good conscience put this in because you're not, it's not gonna going work. to have signal uh, other than maybe for two months out of the year. And it won't even be the entire time that the football season, you know, is on. So learning how to give that bad news and then also understanding like what it's like to give feedback, you know, up the channels, you know, side, you know, sideways, and then being the person at the very bottom, I think was, was helpful to understand how do you look at things broader when you're doing an organizational initiative, when you're managing, whether it's a training, a new product, whatever it may be to say, Hey, have we thought, thought this through? Yeah. Um, do we have all the answers that we need to not create unnecessary friction for customers to not create unnecessary friction for our internal customers, right? Which should be very important as well. The people that make the company go. Yep. And I would say like, I think about it all the time. Uh, sometimes I'm just in gratefulness where I'm like, I'm so glad I'm not carrying a treadmill up seven flights of steps. Cause this old building doesn't have an elevator. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, and then I get reminded, maybe you should stand up. You've been sitting for, <laughs> you should probably, you should probably stand up and stretch your legs. Yeah. Well, one thing that you've talked about now a few times is um, leadership. I'm, I'm kind of getting back to change management and digital transformation initiatives. And something that you said that really caught my attention was that leaders are sometimes afraid of the very technology that we're trying to deploy yeah. and that it can, um, you know, kind of thwart the success of, of the program if they're not as on board as we would expect from the men and women in the front lines themselves. Can we talk that through a little bit? I'd, I'd like to, for you to expand on that and just share with our audience your take and, and maybe some of your observations and, and how you've gone about maybe trying to, you know, correct that inside your organizations. Yeah, I think it goes back to like humanizing, like the digitization of of your workforce or whatever you're doing. And I think who are your influencers within your organization, right? Like that's the true way you're going to get change is knowing like who actually influences this sticking. And most of the time it's the most forgotten part of your organization, which is middle management. They have the most touch points with your frontline leaders. They're typically not the person choosing the systems, choosing, you know, the large, they're pretty much the people that have to bring the bad news uh, to whoever, de depending on what it is. And maybe it's good news. Um, but as we talked about before, good news can also be very stressful to a human being because it's still change. Um, something different, right? Yeah. And so I think part of that is having like the humility as a, as a leader to like really think through like, why is this actually happening? Like, why are we actually doing this change and have have I attained the knowledge required to like see it through? And I think a lot of leaders and a lot of organizations have what I call like the circus tent men mentality, right? So the circus comes to town, pops up the tent, they have a show and then they're gone. And maybe it comes back next year, maybe it doesn't. 
And that's how a lot of these, you know, initiatives happen. Here's the thing we're doing, you know, we're changing these systems out and there's this new, uh, you know, initiative or new product, it's bright and shiny. And then they close the tent. Hopefully it works out for everyone. You know, we're packing up and leaving. Hope you enjoyed the show. And it doesn't ever get reinforced. And because that plan's not really established, like through that middle layer of leadership to understand like, how can they, how can they reinforce it? Do they actually know how to use this tool innately? Do they understand the purpose of it? Are they maybe fearful that the reason you're doing this is to eliminate their job? I mean, a lot of people have that because yet again, the human aspect is maybe some past event in their life, when this happened, they lost their job. Or when this happened, their parents lost their job. And it's a super diverse way to, to look at things. But at the end of the day, you take you everywhere you go. And so just because something happened in your personal life doesn't mean it doesn't affect you in your, your business life, your work life and vice versa. So I think that's like a, a huge piece is like, how can leaders do a better job of building a brick house instead of having a circus tent and say, Hey, we're brick by brick. We're building a solid foundation, like fundamentals. So like the actual base of, of what we're doing. And a lot of times that is with your, your leadership to reinforce the rest of the building blocks for your frontline leaders to be super, you know, super successful. And then you can say, okay, now that this is established and we've reinforced this clearly, let's move on to the next house. But until people get, you know, rid of the next shiny thing, the next shiny thing, uh, which is change fatigue for a lot of your associates. I mean, I've talked to people and been to places where it's like, they have so many tools. I don't even know how they could possibly be using them all effectively um, versus they have a lot of tools. They just don't even know the capabilities of because they haven't taken the time. And so I think that's key is just like really understanding why is this happening? Are leaders attaining that knowledge so that it doesn't have that kind of the circus is coming to town. Here it goes. They said, we're going to do this thing again this year. And, and then it doesn't stick and you're wondering why, and everyone has feelings about it. But, but the fact is you just didn't plan appropriately and you didn't plan um, for like clear reinforcement, knowledge attainment. And you didn't plan that there's humans that are impacted by, you know, whatever the change is, no matter the scale. Yeah. Do you, do you think that the leadership should be more involved in acclimating with new systems changes prior to implementing on the front lines? Is there some methodology that would improve their comfort level before we expect folks that report to them to adopt the same tools? Yeah, I think, I, I mean, obviously if you're, if you're choosing something as a leader, right, which a lot of people are, cause it hits their PNL, mm-hmm. I'm choosing, I'm choosing this system and it's X amount of, you know, millions of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars, whatever the licensing cost is, depending on the scale and scope of your organization. Yeah. But I don't even know really how it works um, because I don't do that job. And the problem is a lot of leaders apply past framework of a job they might've done 20 years ago mm-hmm. to how they think this digital change is actually going to impact people that are doing a, a job that's probably significantly different the people that work within the organization are in complete different financial situations today and have other stresses that that change can elevate uh, that could be unforeseen. And I think really when you look at it, it just goes back to like a leader has to have whatever model you want to use, like 
we've done proprietary stuff like similar to like versions of AdCar, but mm-hmm. when it comes to that D in there, right? Desire as a leader, you have to have the desire to personally choose like that I'm going to learn and grasp the knowledge or, around this change or it's never going to be supported because what ends up happening, you ask the other people, why isn't the tool be, you know, being used this way? And they don't know because they you have no way all the way down to hold them accountability. Now, depending on the size of your organization, that's not always sustainable, but then you have to ask yourself, do you have the right people actually making the decision? As a leader, do I have the humility to step out of this and say, maybe someone else should be making this decision that, or be involved in the decision that's actually more closely connected and intimately understands what the job is? Yeah. Because I think I know, and I know a lot of leaders think they know, but you know, depending on how many spaces, right, and your pay bands or whatever it is to, to where that per- decision maker is to that frontline person, it could be a significant gap of understanding of what everyday life and everyday work is for them. For, for the other you're, folks in the organization that'll be affected. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you what, as you're talking this through there, it's, I've realized something lately, mostly as a result of our work during our day job, that <laughs> a lot of the decision makers that are buying technology solutions for larger organizations are making those decisions based on their need for increased financial visibility, inventory yes. visibility, right? Some type of reporting mechanism and stuff like that. And so a lot of the decision criteria for buying that technology or implementing that technology is about what their needs are. And that makes perfect sense. And I understand that piece. What we, we see this happen, I, it's literally happened in this last week where we we're talking with an organization who now has to roll out some mobile technology to their frontline workers that will feed that backend system. And they had not spent any time really exploring the mobile application and the use, the use of that for their frontline workers. And so now it's coming time to implement. And, you know, the vendor said things like, this was a quote. They said, don't worry, it'll be easier than you'll think, you, you would think, to roll yeah. it out to your frontline workers. Yeah. And that really struck with me, stuck with me because I said, well, of course, that's what they're saying. They're, they're trying to sell a new solution and, and they're selling that solution based on the executive's desire to have this better reporting and better routing. And this was actually a delivery application. So it was around routing and route optimization and stuff like that. That's the, that's the return on the investment they were trying to get was improved routing and lower miles and better gas, right? All fuel expenses and all of those other things that would come as the output. But on the input side of that, the men and women on the front lines were going to have to interact with some technology. They had no part in making the decision. And then they were going to have to absorb this change. And when it came down to it, the organization's now trying to play catch up to figure out how that solution's actually going to work in the real world. Yeah. And, and so it, it strikes me, you know, you, you talked about it before, just kind of this vulnerability um, and, and transparency from the, the leadership standpoint to say, um, to be more open-minded, just saying, hey, there's going to be impact in the organization that I'm not aware of, and I'm probably not the best judge of determining how easy or difficult that challenge is going to be for them. And I should in- engage some others you know, in that process. Uh, so it's just interesting to hear you talk about that. And, and I have just you know, a week's old example of that exact scenario. Yeah, I, I think John Maxwell said it um, on a podcast I was listening to probably like not too long ago, six months ago or so. And just like, if you ask, you can ask the right questions, but if it's to the wrong person, it doesn't matter. And I think that happens a lot where, because people attain 
a certain title or certain level of success, they think they know more than what they really do. And yet again, now you have the wrong person uh, who can't answer the questions, potentially making the decision, you know, in a room. And I think for a lot of leaders, it's just having the ability to say, I, I'm not the best person to make this decision. Um, you might be the person that has the final sign off, but yep. I think it's having the humility and transparency with your people that, Hey, I don't know enough about this technology to decide if this is going to work. I'm not connected enough, nor should I be connected enough because I, it's not sustainable, you know, at the level that you may be, depending on your, your organization size to know every single thing innately that's happening within the organization. Um, it's just not, it's not possible for, for most leaders, depending on where they are. So really understanding that to your point is, okay, am I even the right person for right. this, for this question? And I would say most of the time you're not, um, you're really not. And it could even be the person over that department internally. They have too many verticals or too many things that, that they're in charge of where you're by default, a generalist at some point in your career. And that's okay, like, because it's more about thought leadership, understanding trends in the market and where the business is going and having the right people in place that are smarter than you around those, those core places like digital acceleration on how to make those things stick. Yeah. And I think some organizations are doing a good job of that. And, and you're seeing more of that where they're, the way they're structuring, but it just comes down to just being able to like volley something off and say, you know what, I'll have to, we'll have to get the right people, you know, yeah. in the room to make the right decision. Yeah. And to make sure that my point is clear to anybody who might be listening to this, the purpose of this show is not to discourage people from deploying technology to frontline workers. Right. In fact, it's quite the opposite, but the topic that we're talking about right now is trying to avoid the naivete of some decision makers in the organization that may just push forward with a tech solution without thinking of the change implications to the men and women in the field and to say, ultimately, if you want to achieve your objectives, Mr. or Mrs. Leader, who is trying to optimize your routes to reduce fleet expenses and all those other things, those are admirable goals and you should go after them. But you know, without taking into account the, the change challenges in the field, you're ultimately setting yourself on a path to failure or at least delayed gratification of those objectives, right? Where, yeah. With a little bit of attention paid to the needs of the men and women on the front lines to ensure their success first, ultimately that can pave a path back to the success of, of you as an individual executive or decision maker and you know th that of the organization at all. Yeah, 100%. I, I think one, technology is not going anywhere. And the better we can do to integrate it into the workforce to make people's jobs easier, more enjoyable, automate administrative tasks that literally bring no one value within an organization yeah. is, a is a huge thing and an opportunity to your point where I think a lot of people just are so focused on being first versus being best. And that's where, you know, planning and thinking these things through allows the launch of a, a new software, the launch of a new business change, whatever it is to actually 
to actually stick because you have a plan that that requires reinforcement. You have a plan that understands the human aspects of the people within the organization to prepare them and make sure that they understand the vision of why we're doing this. Like, what's the end point? Um, when you do that, I think to your point, it's one of those things is also understanding in the plan that sometimes productivity may get worse for a period of time because of that, that change curve that people are going through. It could be a brand new skill that they've never had to do or attain or, or understand, or yet again, you're changing sides of the bed. It's a completely uncomfortable thing for them. And instead of abandoning it or, or blaming it and saying it, they're not accepting it, understanding like that's potentially part of the process. And you'll find yourself as once people get to that other side of the curve of acceptance, which individually takes time, uh, depending on how well you've done attaining the appetite for change of your organization, that's when you're going to see a lot of these tools and, and basically digital impl implementations take off. And it takes, it takes time. Um, and I think a lot of times we just are so focused on being first versus like, how, how can we be the, the best? And that takes planning. <laughs> yeah. I, I think right now though, we, we have this weird, you know, th th there is kind of a perfect storm brewing, right? We've got labor shortages in a lot of areas that are being affected by this, right? So we still have the same demand. We may have less labor um, to apply, you know, to, to serve that demand than we had before. We've got a greater appetite for, than ever before for digital transformation, in part to make that workforce more efficient to be able to withstand the demand, right? So we've got a lot of dynamics that are happening at the same time. And you just talked about the dip in productivity, but you're talking about it at a time when I can afford a dip in productivity the least, right? Yeah. That's a crazy scenario for, for all involved. And, and so what, what's your plan for how you would communicate those scenarios to leadership to say, I know you have to meet, you know, your revenue objectives or, you know, deliveries object, whatever, whatever that case may be, whatever metrics they're driving to, toward at the same time, you're trying to roll out this new technology. And what I'm telling you is that we're going to see a dip in productivity. It, it's going to be seen as, un, you know, just unsustainable in, in a lot of cases, right. Or unacceptable. Yeah, I think, I think it comes down to understanding, like, obviously the future of work is with technology and, and most leaders do understand that. But I think to your point, it's understanding is there's probably never a best time, but it's probably going to be better to do it now versus when it's too late, right? I think a lot of people are so hung up on, you know, to your point, like we're short staff, we're this, we're that versus how can we reimagine the way our people work in the first place? Because you can replace a lot of that remedial type work that's not necessary for anyone to do with a really good digital solution. And you could then change to where a lot of people are doing things with more meaning in their job, which if you look at like a millennial or a Gen Z or, you know, whatever, you know, pick your poison, that's what most people want. Like they want to do something that brings them meaning. And so when you can eliminate the noise um, and yes, they might have to figure out those, those hard and soft skills using that technology solution, like how to do a good job of things that are more meaningful because maybe they weren't doing that historically, but eventually your, your company will trans transform as well. And I think that's to, to your point, like you have to be able to, to tell that story to your leaders of 
okay, here's the cost benefit analysis and where we believe we'll, we'll break even on productivity. And maybe you have some historical data on other launches that maybe you did or didn't do. There's plenty of case studies and white papers out there that, that you can reference and just do a really good job of showing like, hey, what does the industry say? What are we gonna do differently? But then also, how are you reimagining the work? And is that clearly defined? Because then when you get to the ability like to do your job differently through like through a change, if the people aren't equipped, it doesn't matter how good the, you know, the solution is, you're going to be like, well, there's something wrong with the technology solution when really it's just, you didn't define, you didn't maybe define the roles and responsibilities of their new, new job. So they don't understand how they fit into this thing. Or maybe you missed a part because you didn't plan well. So I think, I think a lot of leaders know where it's going and, and what they need to do. And I think it's also having their willingness to be able to either delay something else or understand that, hey, there might be a loss here or a bigger spend in this area this year, but it's part of our longer strategy to transform the way we work. And uh, better, better to figure that out now when eventually you're not going to have a pandemic that makes people work from home. Like people are going to, to work from home. Like right. at some point, some percentage of people are always going to work from home and there's not going to be hybrid this, that, and the other thing. It's just going to be what newer organizations, because a lot of organizations disappear off the face of the earth are going to offer and it's going to be more competitive in the market and you don't want to be that company that tries to right. then shift to adapt because you're losing the war on talent and then you can't yet again you're worrying about trying to catch up to be first versus best and i i think i think that's where a lot of it's missed and that's a pretty easy story like once you really communicate that the leadership of like what your opportunity is, but you have to know like, where are you going, right? Where are we now? What does it look like when it's working? And if you can clearly define that, reimagining the organization's a, a lot easier because then you'll know like, have we given them the knowledge they need? Do they have the right abilities and are they defined clearly? And then what's our reinforcement plan? Uh, take that technology solution and, and even do further enhancements, right? Because, you know, that gets iterated and it gets, uh, collaborated with a lot of times with the people that, you know, make them, um, because they're willing, they want to increase the ability of, you know, whatever software or platform that they have as well. So it's a win-win solution, I think for, for both parties at that point. It actually adds to the change management challenge though. We've talked with several guests about this. And, and again, we see this a lot in my, my day job that the iteration frequency of change of the, the applications that we're deploying to, to the men and women on the front lines creates, uh, you know, just a change saturation problem, right? The frequency of, of those changes. Uh, Doug Icorn, who was a guest uh, a few episodes ago, talked about, you know, trying to advocate for the front line, you know, the men and women on the front line by asking the dev team to stall some of their iterations, right? To do every other or every third iteration 
to where they would only then have impact on the user interface and use the other two iterations in between to you know do performance improvement on you know the backend you know databases and stuff like that right and that that to me was a really good idea to be able to say like listen we don't want to slow down the dev process we're not trying to create an inefficient development process but we also have to recognize that there are some you know kind of victims of of agile <laughs> development yeah. that when we're rolling out all of these new capabilities like there's somebody on the other end of that that's like i just figured out the way the, the last change and now i'm having to make changes again right so there, yeah. there's a role for everybody from development to the leadership, to the L&D team, to the change leaders like you and your role to be able to smooth out some of the ebbs and flows of that change a little bit. Yeah, change fatigue is real. Death by, It's like the death by a thousand cuts, like you're talking yeah. about that that happens a lot. And, you know, those people are just trying to do their job too. And it just goes again, some someone that's probably more disconnected from how many changes are really occurring at that micro level, you know, might be making that decision. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think it is a challenge. Like we have to deal with it all the time where you have to balance. What do we need to say no to? And why is that? You might have to go from like a business standpoint and say, okay, we used to do X amount of changes to, to the example you provided and now we're doing it in this cadence have we noticed any difference in our attrition right you know what is what does that look like or absenteeism those are good barometers that a lot of people miss because we don't track enough stuff as leaders that for like actual you know it's the financials it's this things but but what are the other things that are pretty key indicators that the way we're working is like unhealth like an unhealthy way of operating and then you might okay, we made this change and you see the, whatever their attrition number is, let's say it's 15%. Well, now it's 10. Um, and historically it's never been 10. Clearly this is like making a change. We're not burning people out or discouraging them or whatever it may be. And they're all oh, the profit, you know, their proficiency in these changes is also increasing, which higher productivity or whatever, which also all those things impact financials in, in other ways. And I think that's just another one of those stories that you can tell to really be a better business partner across the business, right? Because that's right. that's a more holistic view and a holistic way of working. Yeah, and there's starting to be some data that's coming out now. We just reviewed some of these uh, pretty recently about you know exit interviews of frontline workers who are saying that lack of training and the technology that they had to use on their job were some of the reasons that they were leaving. And so that's that's pretty profound, right? And and in a time when maybe turnover wasn't seen as one of the top challenges for a business, maybe those, you know, maybe decision makers would look the other way. But at a time when turnover is typically one of the top five priorities that, you know, senior leadership are dealing with right now, you're gonna start to look a little bit more closely and say, okay, how can we improve? How can we fix those gaps to improve their use of the systems and in general, you know, training solutions across the board so that they can feel more comfortable and be successful in their role. Yeah, I think you make a good point. Like so many organizations, especially ones that have customer facing websites and customer facing yeah. products, some of them have some of the most aesthetically pleasing, easy to use, literally anyone, you know, could interact with it type of interfaces from a UI standpoint. And then you go see what maybe their people internally are using and you'd be like, this, how is this the same? organization. We see it every day. 
Yeah. And I think to your point, that becomes a frustrating thing to an employee, especially a frontline employee that's typically using those systems more than anyone, um, just by the nature of the job. Well, it's like, you don't care, right? It's, we serve our external customers, but we do have these individuals internally that we need to serve really well also. And I think all the engineering resources, all the things, a lot of times go to those outward facing things, which is, which is good. But if you don't measure things like you're talking about, people are quitting their jobs in record, record numbers. And some of it's just because they'd rather be unemployed than have to deal with how difficult it is to do the simplest task or feel heard. And I don't think that should go unnoticed. And the companies that make that pivot to your point that get better digital systems within their organization that are on par with how easy a customer's experience is, they're the ones that are going to outpace everybody um, because those, those employees are going to have other things that they can contribute. They're going to have better ideas. They're going to have, more iteration internally uh, to improve the customer experience, whoever that customer may be, you know, externally. Yeah. yeah and, and customer experience, you know, falls off of everybody's tongues. It's, it's something that, you know, we're all very focused on, but there's a, a lack of awareness of the importance of the employee experience inside the organization. And, you know, I believe that improved customer experience in the market overall is actually creating a larger Delta for that employee experience because your employees are customers outside of your business, uh, right? And so they're using Amazon, they're using Netflix, they're using all the other platforms that we all use that have amazing, you know, customer experience, um, you know, platforms. And then they come into work and they're not trained properly. They don't have the right information to be successful. They're using applications that are difficult and, you know, complex transactions and things like that. And so the Delta is getting bigger. I agree. And so we, we all need to work better to, to close that gap a little bit. And, uh, you know, let's face it. I mean, so, sometimes internal applications are complicated. There are, there, there's more transactions that I might have to learn as an employee than anything I would ever do as a consumer on Netflix or something like that. Uh, but we do need to bridge that gap and, and allow them to be more successful that way. Yeah. I think, I think it's a, a funny thing that like you're saying, I could go, have an interaction depending on where you work and it'd be better as an actual external customer than an internal, you know, than working for the, you know, working for the company itself, which is just fascinating. And I'm sure you see it all the time. And I I I do. Yeah. I actually had an experience as a guest at a retailer. I won't mention who it is. Uh, I don't want (laughs) to, you know, throw any stones here, but I I was at a retailer and uh, I was asking for some help. And (laughs) instead of using, their in-store device to do a lookup. They actually said, you know what? Our website is actually better. And they pulled up their public website from their own personal phone to help guide me. And I thought that was really, it was a pretty powerful experience. Uh, I wish I knew some leadership over there. I'd love to tell them that story. Um, So, hey, we're coming up on the end and I I knew this conversation was going to go fast. I always feel like they do. And and I've come away knowing that I've got about 10 other questions that I was hoping to ask you today. So we may have to schedule another conversation at some point. Um, But, but before I wrap it up, I'd, I'd love to understand you're, you're a very passionate guy. You've got a lot of enthusiasm for what you're doing. Um, What is the contribution that you've made that you are most proud of? I think the thing for me is helping people have higher standards. I think, a lot of people within organizations, and I hear it all the time, I 
whether it's in business verticals or, or different companies, they just accept the circumstance. And I really think if more people raise the bar and challenge the status quo, you will, can, you will see change. It will take time, but it, it takes a village. And for me, that's what I'm most proud of is everywhere I've gone or been a part of, I've left it better than it was. And it's a very difficult thing because almost every one of those situations I've gone into, people told me, you'll never do this. You'll never be able to do that. This can't be accomplished, whatever it is. And that's never been my focus. But a lot of people get immediately discouraged by that. Um, so for me, it's, it's really just elevating the standard and challenging the status quo. And I love you know, rustling the bushes and, and seeing what falls out and then determining, Hey, which, which one of these things do we want to tackle first? Yeah. I think that's a, uh, that's a great way to, uh, to wrap up our show today. Thank you for, uh, for sharing that. I think that's a great way to look at it. Well, thank you for taking the time today. This has been a fantastic conversation. Uh, I knew it was going to be so, uh, really appreciate Joshua that, um, you've carved out some time to spend with me on, on both our prep call and, uh, today's session. I do want to remind you, um, I'll be inviting you to participate in the private group on LinkedIn called, uh, frontline innovators council. It's a private group that we have uh, set up on LinkedIn so that we can continue the conversation beyond today's podcast. And, um, through that, um, bringing you into that group, I'll be introducing you to all of the other previous guests of the show. And, uh, we've got almost 40 members inside the group right now, and we're just starting to get some momentum of, of having some folks, uh, share ideas and ask questions inside the group. And so after today's uh, episode, I will, uh, get an invite out to you to join. Awesome. Thank you so Excellent. much. All right. Well, everybody, we're going to need to wrap it up there. And, um, I hope you found today's conversation as enjoyable as I have. And if so, you know, we always ask this at the end of every show, please share and rate the podcast. Five-star ratings really help ensure that it gets promoted to other professionals like you that are innovating on the front lines. I watch a lot of YouTube stuff and they always say you're supposed to smash the like button. I don't think we have a like button the same way on podcast, but you guys get the drift. We could really use your support on that. Um, remember that the podcast is sponsored by Skillful the mobile digital adoption platform for deskless and frontline workers. Visit the website at skillful.com. That's S-K-Y-L-L-F-U-L.com. And we're always looking for some for new guests uh, on the show. So if you or someone else you know is out there innovating on the front lines, we'd love to hear the story. Please reach out to me on LinkedIn and uh, let me know what's going on and uh, maybe we'll get you on the show. Joshua, thanks again for your time today. 